It is the very first live Big Red Bench Sunday show of 2024 and I couldn't be happier to be back on air. It is Sarah McKenzie Foley with you here for the next hour. You can reach out to me with your thoughts during tonight's show on X. We are at Big Red Bench. Or you can send me a WhatsApp on 0868104106. I'd only love to hear from you here in studio. But in the meantime, I've got an epic show for you to start off the year. We've got an interview with Skibbereen Rowing Rising Star Moya Knowles. On top of that, I've got a fantastic chat with Irish racing driver Alex Kobe, who is currently racing in the US with Random Vandals. And we also have reaction from the Castle Haven game and Ballon Colleagues on the buzzer basketball win in Neptune last night. But first, I'm going to bring you a roundup of all the day's sporting action. So let's get into it. We are starting with Gaelic Games and it was a tough day for West Cork side Castlehaven as they missed out on a place in the AIB All-Ireland Senior Club Championship Final. St. Bridges of Roscommon beat Castlehaven at Semple Stadium in Thurliffs on a scoreline of 10 points to one goal and 11 points. And we will have a full-time report and reaction from that game coming up for you shortly. Meanwhile, in the Co-op Superstores Munster Hurling League today, Cork were due to face the All-Ireland Champions Limerick. However, the match was postponed due to heavy fog in Mallow where the game was set to take place. And in Group B, Waterford played out a close battle against Tipperary and Dungarvan and it was the home side who came out on top by just two points. The final score there was Waterford, one goal and 25 points, two tips, one goal and 23 points. There were no less than eight FA Cup third round ties taking place today. The big game of the afternoon is still ongoing. That's between Arsenal and Liverpool where it's still nil all with about 20 minutes to go. And we will try and get you a full time score on that before the end of the show. The remaining seven games have already reached full time. Manchester City, Leeds United, Wrexham and West Brom all secured wins. Meanwhile, Luton Town and Bolton Wanderers finished scoreless. Nottingham Forest played out a two-all draw against Blackpool and West Ham drew one-all with Bristol City. Moving on to tennis, where Rafa Nadal has confirmed that he's withdrawn from the Australian Open. That's because of an injury picked up during his defeat to Jordan Thompson at the Brisbane International earlier this week. In a post on social media, Nadal says it's a different issue from the one that saw him miss most of last season. And he's remaining positive about having a good final year in the sport. To snooker now, where action resumed in the Masters at Alexandra Palace this afternoon with the players looking to book their spot in the quarterfinals. World champion Luca Brussel lost to Josh L- Jack Lisowski by six frames to two in the first match of the day. Meanwhile, Dublin resident Sean Murphy will represent Irish interests with his match taking place in today's evening session and that's from 7pm. Right. That was your whistle stop tour of the day's sporting action so far. But as I mentioned in the roundup, St. Bridget's were the victors against Castlehaven today in that semi final. And they will now advance to face Glenn in the final, who beat Kilmacud Croaks in the other semi today. That game very nearly did not go ahead, also due to fog, and conditions there were extremely challenging for the teams and the referees as well. Off the balls, Tommy Rooney was pitch sided this one and gave his full time report. 
It is full time here in the first of the Senior All-Ireland Club semi-finals and St. Bridget's have beaten Castlehaven by four points on a scoreline of 111-10 in Semple Stadium. St. Bridget's left it late to finish the job today. They led by four at half time but for much of the second half it looked like Castlehaven could turn them over. The Roscommon champions laid the foundations for this win in that electric first half performance twice delayed by six as Brian Derwin buried a goal and Ben O'Carroll was on fire. Castlehaven were a different side in the second half though and as they've done throughout their club campaign they dragged themselves back into contention. With less than 10 to play, Brian Hurley's 7 point of the day left just a point between the sides. That was as close as they get though. Substitute John Cunningham nailed a brilliant score before Paul McGrath added another and Ben O'Carroll clipped over a penalty with the final kick of the game. He took his point as there was no time left. As their year ends, Castlehaven will rue a slow start today and the luck that went against them as Roy Maguire's effort and goal smashed the underside of the bar when they were on top. St Bridges can get ready for a senior All-Ireland Club final against either Glen or Kilmical Croaks now in two weeks' time. Full-time score in Seppel Stadium. St Bridges won 11, Castlehaven 10 points. Now, Tommy also spoke to Castlehaven manager James McCarthy after the game. Let's hear his thoughts. James McCarthy, Castlehaven manager. You've had an unbelievable year, but it ends today in the All Ireland final stage, semi final stage. You must be absolutely gutted. Yeah, gutted at the moment, but um, very proud of the boys. Um, we had a slow start today, maybe, and, uh, but we gave it everything the second half, and we, we had them very rattled there with 10 minutes to go. And, uh, you know, we hit the crossbar again. We hit the crossbar twice today, uh, that same bloody crossbar below there. But then, yeah. Uh, very proud of the lads and look uh, that's a good Bridget team and uh, the best of luck to them in the final You said you had a slow start and you did two points late points from Colin McGuire and Brian Hurley left at four at the break what, what does the slow start down to I know there was injury doubts about a few fellas before the game why, why did you start so slow um, I suppose not totally slow I suppose we could have the first score maybe Brian missed the one that he usually put over we got a good start first couple of minutes and then we seemed to back off the we maybe gave them a bit too much respect, like, and uh, look, they didn't miss a bit. They, they're good shooters. They have six good forwards, and you have to, you know, this is top-level football here, so look, it, it's it's close margins, but we were lucky to be going at, at half-time, four points, four points down only, but then the second, we looked at the stats at half-time, we hit the crossbar, we had two bad frees, wides, that put us up a point, which sounds crazy, but they're, they're, they're the margins, like. You've made a habit this year of winning tight games. It's a great trait to have in a team and a, a group of fellas. What were you saying then at half-time when you were looking at those stats? like? Because you were a totally different side in that second half. Yeah, and I suppose a bit of passion as well. You know, Just go back to basics and try, try your hat at it like a bit and push out and go man-to-man. And, um, you know, that's, you know, it's up to the players themselves. And, and, you know, with five minutes, ten minutes to go there, I said, here we go again. We might dig this one out again. But it, 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 it wanted to be like. You mentioned that cursed crossbar. It was 1998 and uh, Rory's father, Michael Maguire, was in goals for Castlehaven where they lost an All-Ireland semi-final. Terence Isle, it's probably tough even talking about that, but Rory smashed that bar going through and goal. Yeah, he rattled it nearly. I think I'll come up tomorrow and cut it down. Like but uh, yeah, look, there, it's just a bit, of, a bit of luck and a bit of, you know, if he stroked it in, we wouldn't be talking about this now, but... You know, it's just a coincidence. It's nothing else. Like, but uh, yeah, and we and Jack hit the crossbar in the first half as well with a rattler. So we, we we play good football at times, not good enough, but they're a good team and they'll take a bit of beating in the final. To get to this stage, James, you've got to be winners. You've got to be champions. But you have this unwanted record of four semi-final defeats now that you've got here. Like, how can, how can you come back from this now? Ah uh, well, I, I I wouldn't even be looking at that. I'd say it's back. To, 
a big in Cork it's to win the county is a big thing in Cork and you know not too many country teams win counties and we have six of them won and you know we're disappointed now but we'll go back and celebrate our county and, and Munster championships now over the next couple of weeks and you know we, we wouldn't be dwelling on coming back here again that's for another day it's back to reality now and every other team in Cork will be looking to win a county again and we'll be one of them and finally, let's hear from the winning side. These were the thoughts of St. Bridget's manager, Brian Stack. Brian Stack, we chat again. St. Bridget's are into an All-Ireland final. How does it feel? Uh, yeah, it feels great. It uh, feels exactly how we'd imagine. Um, another two weeks with this group is yeah, exactly what we aim to do today. So, delighted. Uh, after a brilliant first half performance, Brian, you did it the hard way in the end. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Listen, we wouldn't be happy with a lot of aspects of uh, how we played. Um, defensively and I suppose that book starts with myself um, I wouldn't be happy with today but listen as long as you come out and win um, it's all that matters really yeah. you were up against Brian Hurley today he, he's had an unbelievable year he's been hard to tie down all year long um, I, I think there was a moment or two you were probably unlucky was there a free that went against you in the first half that felt harsh second half one as well how did you feel about today uh, yeah listen Brian, Brian's had a great year he's had a great 10 years so um, fantastic player uh, yeah a couple I, I wouldn't be happy with but um what can you do? Listen, there's that happens. Yeah. What does it matter? You're in an all in a final. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, what happened in the second half? Because you had such an electric start to that first half. It was very similar to the Car Finn game and the the pace and intensity that you hit Castlehaven with. Uh, yeah, I suppose it's no secret. Like we have a lot of pace in our team. We try to use it. Um, probably wouldn't be happy with how we failed to use that in the second half. Um, but I suppose it, it kind of turned into a bit of a battle, and that's what Castlehaven credit to them they, they wanted that and they, they turned it into that in the second half and um, just happy to be able to kind of compete that way as well yeah after the joy of the Connick final I get the sense that it's a different feeling after today there's bigger bigger games ahead now uh, yeah I suppose it's just a bit of relief um, the old saying you know I don't want to use cliches but semi-finals there to be won and listen it's, it's a relief and we have two, two weeks to work hard now and we'll watch another game now after this and uh, yeah we'll see how we go yeah. All eyes on, on Yuri, that's the way it's been all week. You know, you came in under the radar. It's uh it's a nice way to be going into the Ireland final now. Ah yeah, every every team at this stage is a fantastic team, so look we know we'll be up against it, but um we'll put our best foot forward and hopefully that's enough. Well done Brian, all the best. Thanks. And any Liverpool fans amongst you will be thrilled to hear that they have just gone 1-0 up against Arsenal thanks to a corner from Trent Alexander-Arnold. I'll try and keep you across the score there as that game comes to a close. Still a bit of time left there. Now, I have to give a mention to Cork Basketball next because both National Cup finals this season are going to be all Cork affairs. That's in the men's and the women's. In the men's final, the Blue Demons will face Ballancolleg on Saturday, 20th of January. And in the women's fan- final, it's going to be Gronbarher Credit Union versus Father Matthews. And that's the following day on Sunday, the 21st of January. Now, both of those finals are going to be broadcast on TG Carr. So you will be able to see that action live. But in the meantime, if you haven't seen the game-winning buzzer-beater shot that won Ballancolleg's game last night, you absolutely need to check it out. It's on our X feed. You can find it at Big Red Bench. And I reckon that Keelan Cairns, who made that shot, is going to be dining out on the back of it for a very long time. It was absolutely fantastic stuff. But just before I came on air, I had the chance to speak to Kieran O'Sullivan from the Ballancolleg team about the game and their upcoming finals. So let's hear what he had to say. Let's get the thoughts now of Kieran O'Sullivan, player coach with Ball and Colleague. Kieran, thanks a million for joining us on the Big Red Bench. No worries at all. Delighted to be on. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, uh, 
a good weekend for Valencoli Basketball Club. So yeah, delighted to be on. Thanks for reaching out. Definitely. I've been getting so much joy from watching that video of the game-winning shot from Keelan Cairns. Tell me what that felt like from your perspective. I imagine it was electric. It certainly looked electric on the video. Yeah, it's, it happens um, every so often in basketball. I've been involved in a couple of those situations through my own career as a player. Um, and it's just euphoria, really. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the video, everyone does something that they wouldn't normally do. They might, <laughs> I, like I, Keelan, hit, Keelan hit the shot. I was probably the closest person to him. I ended up running 90 feet the other direction, just in <laughs> ex- exhilaration. I had forgotten about him. The rest of the team ran past me. They were running towards him. So that's what happens, I think, maybe when you lift the trophy. Um, those initial couple of seconds maybe running over to to a crowd or if a shot goes in on the buzzer like that it, you, you can't replicate that feeling you know it's just yeah. um, mad stuff really but, but hugely exciting and great for great for supporters and, and fans you know Yeah absolutely I imagine it took you a while to, to come down off the buzz from that one it's, uh, it's your first time in the Pat Duffy Cup final but the momentum is certainly there because you won your Ensure my Vandali Super League title last season. How do you feel about going up against the Blue Demons now in the final in a couple of weeks' time? Yeah, look, it's been going well. I suppose it, the way the league is structured, um, it's it's there's a cup competition, which the Pat Duffy Cup, which which ends now in, in two weeks' time in January, which is knockout like like championship in other sports, and the league is a, a playoff system at the end, so you play a regular season and then. You have um, quarterfinal, semi-final, final. So the Super League really is just about trying to peak at the right time and losses that you can recover from in the league. So I suppose for ourselves and Demons, we've we've taken our couple of losses this season, um, but both of us find ourselves in a in a cup final. So it's um, it's going to be a great game, great excitement. Um, no more than the the women's final as well with with Brunel and Father Matthews. You've an all Cork final on the women's side as well. So. Yeah, hugely exciting and you look at the cup final, um, anything can happen, those sort of cliches will come into it but I suppose you, you mentioned momentum there, we've been going well and um, you know we'll, we'll travel to Dublin ready to go, you know, but it's it's amazing the kind of the peaks and, and, and valleys of a season, we're, we're down away to Kilargan next week just in a regular season game so you're back to kind of league play, so you've cup semi, league game and then a a cup final to prepare for so it's kind of preparations for next week but but having the final in mind obviously then as well which is which is you know difficult to juggle as a coach Yeah absolutely and do you think it makes much of a difference you mentioned that there are so many Cork teams being in the late stages of these competitions do you think it makes much of a difference facing a team that's in a sense full of familiar faces or do you just have to prepare for it like you would facing any other team in a final? I think you have to prepare for 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 it like like I said, any other team. I think you you'd like to say that anyway. I think from the fans' perspective, there's probably just a bit more. You know, you you, you want to get one up on your neighbours. You know, yeah. de- demons beat Neptune to to get to the, the the final. You have a bit of that going on, but I think basketball. You know, we're 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 a small sport at at that level. Um, in terms of everyone knows one another, you know, uh, you know, guys have played against each other for years on years. You got young guys coming through, uh, but everyone knows one another. So you just have to try and prepare as best you can, like you would any other week. But obviously, it being a cup final, a knockout game, and and a lot at stake, 
you know, your preparation needs to be on the money. So that's what I was going to say there with the Clogging game next week. It's funny that way, the way the weight of the, the cup final is huge, but you still have league that you want to win and knock off to make sure you're in those playoffs at the end of the year so it's funny it's funny that you actually really have to play your best basketball and peak at the right time mm. in the middle of the season as opposed to other sports which might come at the very end um, so yeah it's, it's, it's challenging all around Yeah I imagine you're kind of alluded to it there but I imagine consistency has to be a huge part of that how do you manage that I suppose within the squad of players that you have yeah, you, 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 you try your best to kind of set out a, a way of playing and a, and a set of principles defensively and offensively. And then I suppose for the one-off games, you, you tactically then might tweak what you do based off your, your kind of principles or your core values. Um, that's probably just the, the simple way of laying it out. We would put more emphasis obviously on the, the cup games or the playoff games in, in, in such in such ways as certain tactics or certain matchups that we like or are trying to avoid. But then as the season's going on week to week, you have certain things that you, you're trying to hone in on and build habits. And that's where, as you mentioned there, the consistency comes in and you're just hoping then on, on the big days that you just get your, your performance right and that your best players come to the fore, which was certainly what happened with us on um, the last night with mm-hmm. Andre Nation. 24 points and Sean Dale-Jones 29 points you know we got our our two best scorers scoring the ball which which was uh, which was fantastic for us you know Yeah absolutely and you you mentioned it earlier both the upcoming men's and women's finals are all Cork matchups which definitely gives a hugely positive picture I think of the health of Cork basketball you mentioned that it's quite a small community how do you think or what do you think I suppose are the building blocks that have helped it to get to to that level of performance I think competition is huge. I think, you know, like some people might get a bit anxious or nervous because it's a local derby. We would term it a Demons versus Neptune or a Balancholic versus Demons, etc. But that builds competition. I know when basketball was in its heyday in the 80s, you know, you would have had the Northman, Neptune, Blue Demons. And if one team was coming first in the league, you, you could be very sure that the other team was right behind them or if someone won a trophy another club would go with them and, and go win the next one so we played Blue Demons last year in the in the cup semi-final we're, we're meeting again or sorry in the league semi-final we're playing now in the cup final so you will see teams follow each other it's, it's it's a bit it's a bit like that that competition drives it and the same thing's happening in the women's side where Glanmire would have dominated for the last decade or more and now Brunel Father Matthews other teams are growing you see the success see what it takes and I think it's the local competition really that's driving it um, I think since COVID, there's been a huge, I suppose, awareness of how, I suppose, cool basketball is. People enjoy yeah. want to watch it. The, the, the spectatorship is, is up. Anyone who was in Neptune last night or Friday night for the Demons Neptune game or for the Balancholic Tralee game last night, you know, you're if you're in there, you're, you want to see more. You know, you just get a taste of that. So I think those high-level games... Being on people's doorsteps as well really helps the, the profile of the sport. And I think that's where we're seeing the growth. Completely. That absolutely makes sense. I, I definitely think the the level of awareness seems to be much higher, which is, is great to see. Uh, I won't keep you much longer. Look, thank you so much for, for chatting to us here on Corkford FM. We're really looking forward to seeing how that, that Cork-filled final weekend plays out and your own game on the 21st of January. And uh, very best of luck to, to you and the rest of the team. 
thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us on and for, for all the coverage over the years. It's been it's been great. And um, yeah, thanks very much. Cheers. And you can ignore my misdate there of the, the 21st of January. That is the women's final. So the men's final, as I said earlier, will be on the 20th of January, just the day before. Now, I mentioned a rising rowing star at the top of the show named Moya Knowles, and I had the chance to speak to her just before Christmas. She's still in school, but she's already represented Ireland at international level. And I really enjoyed my conversation with her. So let's have a listen back to that now. I'm very excited to be joined on the Big Red Bench by Moya Knowles, who is a very exciting prospect on the international rowing circuit, hailing from none other than Skiverine Rowing Club. Moya, thank you so much for chatting to us here on Corkswood FM. Thanks so much for having me. I know you're still very young, but I'd be willing to bet that you were bitten by the rowing bug fairly early on. What was your kind of first introduction to rowing? Yeah, so when when my mom was younger, she actually used to row um, on the coastal side of things. So I started off on the coastal side and then mm, probably like three years into it, I moved to um, river rowing and that's when things really got serious. How would you describe kind of the rowing events that you take part in and, you know, the differences there even between like coastal rowing and river rowing, for example? Yeah, like what I found was... The coastal rowing was more of a like leisurely kind of sport, more fun, you know, <laughs> but then get into the river rowing then it's very, very more serious. Um, the competitions are probably more intense, but yeah, that's kind of the main difference. And then the boats and like kind of the area you'd be rowing would be another big difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I won't, I won't ask you if you have a favourite <laughs> or a least favourite, so we won't have said anybody there. <laughs> Um, I do know, and I think it's fair to say that most people would be aware of this, that rowing requires a huge amount of dedication. And I know there's a lot of early mornings uh, and the, the early training sessions. <laughs> Obviously, you've school on top of that as well. So yeah. what does an average week look like for you, particularly when you're in competition season or when you're kind of preparing for that? Um, so when we're kind of in the big competition season, we kind of be done school. Like we have the national champs kind of like June, July. So we're done and it's more focused on rowing, but we have a good, we kind of have a good divide at the moment with schoolwork and training. So it's not like a big, like a big change to what we're used to, but we kind of, we kind of vary throughout the year, if that makes sense with our trainings. So like more in the winter, we'd have longer sessions because there'd be like more mileage and stuff. And then coming into the like, racing season the sessions would be like kind of more intense but not as long because we'd be trying to get like the burn or like the train Mm. into it and do you do much training outside of the boat like is there much gym work or running that's involved in in sort of extra preparation outside of the the water piece um we do like a good bit of stretching and weights and stuff Mm. um and obviously when the water is not the greatest we do we do a good bit of erg um, the past few weeks, it's been not the nicest on the water, so it's been mostly erg and erg and rope perfect and kind of weights. Um, yeah, and like trying to build your weak areas by stretching. And sometimes we do a bit of um, oh, what's the word? Like box jumps and reformers and okay. like tricks and stuff like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because it's really a whole body sport, isn't it? It's not just, obviously you think of the upper body particularly, but your core is obviously huge as well and they've got to have a really stable base. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think, you know, we we all know very well at this stage, there's a very strong reputation down there in Skibbereen in the, the rowing community. How have you personally found that experience, you know, being part of the club and, and representing the club? Yeah, it's very, it's, it's a nice atmosphere to have because you have so many people to look up to and admire. Mm-hmm. Like we have Paul and Fenton and Aoife and Emily and our current coach, Denise Walsh, was high into rowing as well. So she kind of knows what she's teaching us. So we're kind of going up through the levels, like kind of hopefully taking after them in their footsteps. Absolutely. You mentioned there there's loads of people to look up to. Outside of coaches, is there anyone at the club that you kind of go to in particular for mentorship or advice on your events? Um, our main person would be Denise. Yeah. She's like always there. Like we ask her, some of the things we ask her are kind of silly, but <laughs> she knows the answers to everything. Like she knows the good, the bad. Like she just knows a lot about sport and what she's given to us is a lot. Awesome. She's uh, She's got the encyclopedic knowledge, so that's good yeah. to have that person in your corner. <laughs> You've had a really exciting year this year. You were chosen to represent Ireland at the Coupe de la Jeunesse in Amsterdam back in July. Tell me what that experience was, was like for you. Oh, it was so good. Um, so I was in the single, so it was kind of different to what I'd be used to. It's kind of on my own, but no, it was a great opportunity. And I've learned a lot from the racing there. Like it was such a high standard and you just learn so much from one race after the next. So you kind of do the race and then you just improve off that. So it was a really good experience. I bet when you're around people of that level, obviously it's, you know, you give it your all and it's exhausting. But I bet, as you said, it's so inspiring that when you come back home, then you're just dying to get out on the water again straight away to, to put it into practice. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. What have been the other big highlights this year for you as far as the competition side of things? Um, so before we went off to Coop, we had the national championships and Skip had like, there's so many junior girls representing Skip. So we had a good amount of boats in the junior category. We were unfortunate in a few races, uh, but mostly we got seconds and thirds, which is quite good. So hopefully we'll build from that for this year. Absolutely. And how do you find the traveling abroad for competitions? Obviously, the, you know, the higher up you get in the level of competition, that's going to be a big thing. There was another big competition last year, of course, with the under-19 World Championships, which were initially in Italy. How do you find that? Is it tough disrupting your routine or do you kind of just learn to adapt? Um, You kind of learn to adapt. Like, it kind of depends when you're flying out in the morning, when you're like coming in like to the new country in the morning early you're kind of not really motivated so you just want to sleep (laughs) but then mm, it kind of depends you get used to it like the first day might be a bit rocky but then the second day you're just kind of straight into it and you just got to make it work really absolutely and do you have any pre-race rituals or superstitions that that you believe in (laughs) Um, not really. I used to have, I used to have to wear skib socks, but <laughs> thing at the moment is tying my hair up in it, you know, like the ponytail and the plait. Yeah. So that's kind of my, my, my new go-to. Nice. That's how you know you're in the zone. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, as I mentioned, you're still super young, um, you know, lots of underage competitions still to go. Would it be fair to say that a big long term goal for you would be maybe the 2028 Olympics? Yeah, definitely. It's very far away, but hopefully yeah. there's some, some bit of a chance there. Yeah, absolutely. And a really good target to work for as well. And, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, you've had a couple of, of big competitions this year. Do you know yet what your 2024 is going to look like or is that still kind of up in the air? Um, not at the moment. We're doing monthly trials in Farron for the Irish national team. So we don't really know what they're planning on selecting or not yet. It's like all up in the air, really. But yeah, we're at the moment, we're kind of focusing on our like skib boats for the year until we figure out what's happening with that situation. The Big Red Bench Podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Quick full-time update for you from the Arsenal-Liverpool game. It has now finished and the scoreline there was 2-0 to Liverpool. Luis Diaz added that second goal during four minutes of extra time. Certainly a big away win for Liverpool there. And I have to say, despite how low the score was, it was actually a very entertaining game with lots of chances. But... Look, Liverpool came out on top in the end. So we're moving on now to another conversation that I'm absolutely delighted to be bringing you this morning, this evening, I should say. Irish racing driver Alex Kobe came and joined me in the studio just before Christmas and we had loads to talk about because she has been so, so busy. And there's also going to be a video version of this interview available in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But for now, let's just enjoy this fantastic chat and Alex's just amazing energy. I'm very excited to be joined in the studio in person by racing driver Alex Kobe, who has come all the way down from Kildare. <laughs> Thank you very much, Alex, for being here with us on the Big Red Bench. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I always, always, when I'm talking to a racing driver, start off with the same question, and that's, what's your very first motorsport memory? First ever. Oh my God. Yep. <laughs> I think about it. I think I can... Just about remember the first time, and that was when I was six. Okay, pretty but much. But I can, you know, like remember little bits. Um, we were in that boy in Mead, um, oh, and I remember just sitting in the car, and then I remember stopping, <laughs> like halfway through the <laughs> through the track. I I just stopped, and I remember they ran over to me, and they're like, "Just keep going, just keep going." And yeah, I was yeah. like, "Okay, I got yeah, this. Okay. It'll be fine." <laughs> I think I crashed the first time. I went just went straight into into the tires, um. But I didn't give up. I kept going. Absolutely. Well, you're still here, so it's absolutely fine. Dad was like, just keep going. Yeah, be fine. just keep going. It's a good life lesson. <laughs> um, I know you said you're joining us from Kildare, but technically you're joining us from the US because you've just come back from nine weeks in the States with uh, Random Vandals Racing. I'm dying to hear about how this actually came about. How did this opportunity first happen? Uh, so it came about um, because I was connected with Nikki Daly mm-hmm. and Nikki's cousin Connor Daly who races IndyCar or raced IndyCar um, he was sponsored by Paul Sparta and his company and Paul had his own race team and so I got to chatting with Paul and we had a Zoom call and then all of a sudden I didn't even have like my my license like my full license here mm. or my provisional mm. and Paul said do you want to come over to Road Atlanta and hop in our M2 and go racing and I was like no problem at all. I'll be there. You tell me when and where. <laughs> um, so it was all thanks to Nikki, really, that yeah. I got in contact with Paul. Absolutely. And I think most, if not all, racing fans will recognise Cota since it's where the Austin Grand Prix comes uh, comes every year for Formula One. But you recently competed there and also at Sebring. 
how did you find the experience of getting out on a circuit like that and getting racing action at that level? It was a bit crazy. Um, it is, it's our club sport over in America that we were racing in. But having an opportunity to race at like huge circuits, I'm used to car tracks are absolutely mm. tiny. You can yeah. see every single corner. And then we go to Sebring where the walls are staring you right in the face and you really don't want to hit them, but you need to get right up to them, which took me so long. But it was, I was terrified, but in a good way, like in a really good way. And when I got to Coda, like the elevation into the first corner is absolutely ridiculous. And I I did it on the sim. I had seen pictures, I had seen videos, I'd watched, like I'd done all the research. And then I got there, I was like, "You, you could sit water up on that first corner and it wouldn't roll down. That's how crazy it is. And then I, I so excited just to get into the car and be able to go up. I, I told them, I, was like, I don't think I'll get a car up there. That's very steep. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, as you said, like, that's where the F1 was, I think, about three weeks previous to when I was there, yeah. there thereabouts. Um, and you're thinking, we're, we were in the F1 garages. Amazing. This is huge. Yeah. Uh, it was really, really exciting. Yeah. I bet your stomach just like dropped with that first quarter. I <laughs> yeah. could just imagine it's like a roller coaster. I was looking at, oh my God, I can't believe yeah. that at all. I know. <laughs> couldn't I imagine know. it. I know you've done it. So there yeah. you go, under your belt. <laughs> Tap on the back. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would you say are the major things you've been able to work on as a driver so far in your time with Random Vandals? Because it's obviously, it's a completely different level to kind of what you have been doing here previously. Well, I... I feel that it is an automatic, so you don't really mm. have to work on your clutch control at all. I'm kind of learning when, but this is like with anyone starting in cars, is you need to learn all the different technical phrases to be able to give feedback. Mm. Um, you also need to work on, you know, when you need to get up a gear, when you need to get down a gear, you need to kind of listen out for the revs as well. Mm. There are different things. I think mainly your mentality I always yeah. do say, like, having a strong mentality is the biggest tool for any sport. Yeah. Um, and I always did struggle with that for racing. I always felt like everything was very heavy on my shoulders. I was mm. always very stressed. And then as soon as I hopped into the BMW, I was like, nobody had any expectations for me. So mm. I I actually excelled better. It's like when no, Yeah, nobody yeah. had any expectations. And I was able to just, you know, drive around. Because, as I said, I'd never been in a car before. So when I first went to Road Atlanta... Nobody could say I was doing anything worse mm. because it was I was working from the bottom. Yeah. Um. And every race since then has just been the same. There's no expectations, no pressure, and so I'm just able to excel in that version of racing. You know, mm. just being able to go out and do what I want to do. Yeah. And of course, that's probably going to change very soon. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Uh. But that's what I I definitely learned. I said to myself, why did I have so much stress? Why was I always so frustrated mm. when racing? And racing cars has shown me that you, you don't always have to race that way. You can yeah. enjoy it and not come in and throw your helmet across the yeah. <laughs> across the garage. Yeah. You Ideally not. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think the technical point that you mentioned is is really important because I know that. At pretty much every level, if you're working with a team, you know, mechanics, people on data, engineers, everything like that, it's really hard for them to work with someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? They come in with these kind of vague descriptions or expecting to someone else to be able to fix any problem. But it's great that you point that out, because I think even just having 
a basic knowledge of what every person in the garage is doing and how they're impacting you then out on track is so important for even just the relationships in the team. Yeah, I feel like a driver coach is very important. So mm. when I went to Atlanta, my first driver coach was Brian Sellers, who had come from karting, yeah. which was very handy because mm. I was able to just speak to him on how I related the two. Yes, And he was able to then, you know, transfer it over to the engineers and kind of explain to them what I was feeling. Mm. And then when I went to Coda for the first time um, at the Rafa shootout, I was working with a coach who had done karting as well. So there's always, it is quite good that way when it's always a case where the person you're working with has probably come from karting if Mm. they are a racing driver because that's usually where people start. Um, So I didn't struggle too much on that end. Now I I moved over there and I work in the shop with the guys. Mm -hmm. So I am slowly trying to work up my feedback just based on looking at the cars and what they're doing. And they explain to me why they're doing these things. And so that gives me a bit more knowledge on my vocabulary Mm. and different stuff like that Mm, absolutely and you mentioned Rafa there you were chosen as one of only nine female drivers worldwide to take part in that shootout that you mentioned how did that actually come about like how do you even get chosen for that opportunity it was very random (laughs) so Tara Strong who runs Motorsport Woman messaged me I was in Road Atlanta so I was basically only in America for a week and I got a message off Tara and it was basically hey and I was like, hi. Hello. Um, I'd never met her or spoken to her before. And she says, do you want to come to a shootout? And I said, what's a shootout? <laughs> we don't have them here. So yeah. I was like, what, what does she mean? Yeah. And then, so we basically spoke a bit more about it. She's like, we're going to Coda. I was like, no, we're not. <laughs> and she said, no, we, we are. We're going to be going to Coda and you're going to race in a Porsche. And I go, no, I'm not. <laughs> Just told disbelief about you're everything. Yeah. Like, I really, really did not believe her. And I had um, watched Gemma and Rafa mm. just on social media. I've never met them before. And so when she said it, it was going to be with Rafa, I had just recently seen some posts. Okay. And I was like, that's weird. You know how that kind of thing the happens? The universe is yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I literally just seen that guy on my Instagram. <laughs> so... It was very weird, um, but that's how it came about, and I was very, um, I was very happy and like honored to be chosen, as you said, one of nine in the the world. Yeah, um, and I was with a bunch of girls I'd never met before, mm. and they were so lovely. It was, I think, we were all as nervous as each other, you know, yeah. coming into being used to hanging around with a bunch of guys yeah. and then having to live with a bunch of girls for a week was yeah. was very scary for me. Um, yeah. But me and all the girls got on pretty well. I think even with Rafa and his his people, like we all got on like a family towards mm. the end of the week. We were all quite sad leaving each other. Like yeah. I still keep in contact with some of the girls and Rafa and Tara because mm. um, I can't let go of them. Yeah. Like the relationship that we all built was was nothing like I had ever done before in yeah. such a short space of time. Mm. Rafa's guys are unreal like they're such nice people mm. um where you could just click with them straight away which really helped me I do struggle with um anxiety mm. and stuff like that so I was very anxious I didn't know anyone I was going on yeah. my own and their their family just basically took me in and made me feel so comfortable amazing. um so it was huge huge relief but I had an absolutely amazing time yeah what do you think is like what do you think is the key thing in your toolbox as a driver? I know you mentioned mentality obviously is huge, 
But as far as, you know, your ability to to get up to speed really quickly, I think it's fair to say that that's something that you do really well. You kind of just come in and you're just like, okay, let's let's do it. What are the the driving skills that you rely on the most to kind of get you there? Well, I think just consistency. Mm. So you need to, every time you go out, you need to look back on what you did right and what you did wrong and what you can work on and honesty as well. Mm. You know, you come in with the driver coach, don't try telling me you weren't doing something that you were doing basically <laughs> because all they're trying to do is help so it it's it's easy for me to say that now because I'm learning all the time so I have no yeah. problem admitting that yeah. um yeah so you come in and you'll just look back on what you've been doing and the honesty of saying well do you think I can work on this and they mm. say no that's fine and you're like oh I feel like I can they're like no that just helps into the next corner okay, and you're yeah. like, oh that makes sense so it's all learning and yeah, being honest and consistency. So when you learn something, go out and try it. And if you do it well, try and do it the next time, the next time. And just, it's like a jigsaw. Mm. You need to get one piece of information, try it. And if it doesn't fit, try it a different way and then just keep adding and adding and then you have the full picture. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Like, that's such a good point though about being willing to accept criticism. That's hard as a human, it's I think, very just hard. in life. Yeah. Um, so if you can do it as a driver where... I know it feels a lot of the time probably like you're the only one out there on your own. Like you kind of have to remember there's all these people here supporting you as well, yeah. which is which is great to have. Um, you know, you mentioned there kind of getting to know people and, you know, when it's hard going to somewhere where you don't know anyone. We were chatting just before we came on about how building your profile is a really big part of being a racing driver, particularly now, I think more than ever. What are the biggest challenges that you found so far as far as developing your own profile and then how that plays into your professional racing career? Because obviously seat time and funding are, are really hard to get nowadays. Yeah, I think you, building a portfolio more than anything is really important. So, you know, as I said, I'm just saying yes to all of these opportunities. Yeah. As the shooter came along, I just said yes. It was something I threw myself into and said, you know, you need to do this. Mm-hmm. So I always look at it you know, mentally as a portfolio. I'm, I don't have a huge experience with racing cars, mm-hmm. but which is, is hard then to go and look for a sponsorship because what am I selling them? Mm. Apart from a personality and a dream, you know? <laughs> Goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't go a lot. <laughs> so I always say, uh, you know, you need to build your portfolio. So say you did this, do this and do this and just do little bits that you can add and say, you know, I've I've done this and I can try doing this. And it's that's kind of where you need to sell yourself is mm-hmm. I'm willing to try yeah. anything mm-hmm. to get where I want to be. And at the moment, that social media is a huge thing, especially for sponsors. So, you know, as much as I hated it, I was like, why do I need to be a social person I was like why can I just sit in the car with my helmet yeah. on and they're like no you need to do a bit of social media I, was like, I hate social media I hate speaking I hate listening to my own voice I hate looking at my own face on social media it's oh I absolutely hate it but the older I got and the more people I actually got to meet I was like oh I can I can actually talk about myself confidently so yeah. why can't I just do it online and so I started to do that and you know that reels people in because you're giving them a story you're giving yeah. them a personality that they want to invest in and so at the moment for next year I'm I'm you know as everyone is trying to find a bit of sponsorship mm. and what I have to do is you know sell them a personality sell them what I want to do and what I can do for them and 
it's hard especially as an Irish person as I said earlier on it's I find Irish people cannot ask for stuff they're very held back very reserved Mm -hmm. you you never I could never do it I can never go and ask someone for something I think there's a little bit of pride in there as well where you're like I'd hate to ask people to help me you know know. but it's what you need to do and it's something that I'm also learning there's kind of there's two sides to this argument I think I struggle with it sometimes because I do I try and cover a lot of women in motorsport and that's kind of on track and off the track and sometimes I wonder whether it's better to lean on the fact that you are a young woman in motorsport or whether it's better to just let the racing speak for itself yeah where do you sit on that because when you're the driver and you're the one trying to sell it like how does that feel for you? Like, is it a bit, is there a friction there? There's so much conflict in that conversation. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I will always say, and in any situation, will always tell people, don't don't put me down as a female driver. I want to be as equal as possible. Yeah. I would hate to get an award as best female. Now, listen, mm. I like awards. So if you're <laughs> going to give it to me, that's fine. But I wouldn't, like, if, if it was between getting an award of being best female and being best racing driver, you're going to want to be course, a best racing yeah. driver. I hate the divide. Mm. Now, it's it's very fresh and more women are now coming into the sport. So hopefully down the line, we're not going to see that divide. It's going to yeah. be a very equal surface. And that's only something that we can work on. Mm. Um, but yeah, you do lean on that a little bit when you're a racing driver. People do find it more appealing when you're, you're different. You're yeah. an individual yeah. kind of personality because you're young, you're a girl, you're like very fresh to the sport but you also even with sponsors you have more options for sponsors like makeup brands jewellery brands like you have all of these feminine ways to get money Mm. to bring into your race and people love that and people love that face and yes it's what I said is I don't I don't want that to be the only reason people look at me is because I'm a female like going over to America everyone's gonna everyone's saying to me you're gonna excel you're Irish you're female and I was like I, Irish yeah of course yeah, everyone yeah. loves the Irish but <laughs> the female but I was like I don't really want everyone to like me or support me just because I'm a female like yeah. just I I just want to be known for how I race a car yeah and you know I'm happy because that's what the team sees me as nobody kind of you know puts me to the corner and says well Alex is allowed to do it because she's a girl or she's not allowed to do it because yeah. she's a girl like they include me 20 24-7 like that's it's great though yeah. and America is very like that nobody I don't think people really single you out or view you in a different way well listen I've only been there for nine weeks so <laughs> I'm hoping that's how You've it is You've had a really positive experience yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean it's very it's oh, it's a it's a hard subject to it's talk tough. about Yeah it is really tough um, Speaking of Irish women in motorsport we sadly saw the passing of of course Ros- Rosemary Smith recently and I think it's you know it's putting it as an understatement to say that she was hugely important to the the racing community as a whole, not just just women in motorsport. What does her kind of legacy represent to you as a young female racing driver? And how do you feel like we can help to carry that on? Because I feel like it's really important that we keep her momentum going. Yeah, Rosemary definitely like paved the way for mm-hmm. all of us. Um as I said on a few interviews previous last year, I seen Rosemary and Kildare Village at the Mandelo pop-up, yeah. full of life, yeah, thriving on basically passion for racing. Amazing. Like she was glowing. Yeah, um, that woman was full of joy, basically because she just 
was living off a passion. Yeah. And that's just so inspiring for someone like me. Mm. Um, and it is another way, like um, I've said it before, you know, when it comes to the, the divide, Rosemary got a lot of awards for being the best female at stuff. Mm. You know, I think that was very, they underestimated her capabilities that way, mm. where she could have been, you know, something different, you know, mm. best racing driver, best rally driver, instead of best female rally driver and all of this divide. And that just didn't, I think, paint Rosemary as the person that she was and the talent that she was. They didn't give her enough credit for it that mm. way. Mm. But as I said, like, it's it's heartbreaking. And, you know, I think us females all just need to stick together now to, as you said, keep that legacy alive, keep thriving, keep pushing forward for what she did for us. Absolutely. Definitely really important to, to keep her kind of legacy going. Um, we kind of touched on it earlier. Although the driver is very much the face of the team, it takes a village, obviously, to to get the driver out on track. Um, and I know that drivers like to have the chance to kind of recognise the people that are in their corner. Obviously, you mentioned Nikki already, who's a huge supporter of yours. Um, what else does that circle of support look like for you, especially now that you are over in the US um, with uh, with your team there? Um, obviously, I have my parents. Yeah. Oh, so hard being away from them. Yeah. You know, the two people that basically supported my career up until October yeah you know like giving so much money and time and god they basically wrote a dream for me when I was six years old without mm. me even realizing what that dream was and, yeah you know who was to say that I was going to even excel at that mm-hmm. you know so mm. you know you have to appreciate that and I am so appreciative of my parents yeah. and I have such a great relationship with them because of how much respect I have for what they've done for me and now to have to move away from them and then not even... They've never missed a carton race ever. Wow. Like, never. That's 14 years, of, nearly 14 years of racing. Yeah. And they've never missed a race. And then I have to go over to America and every time I've been in America, they've never been there. They haven't seen that yet, which is a big a big step for my career and my mum mm. and dad haven't even seen me in a car yet. Yeah. Like, I'm excited for next year when they do get to come over. I'm... Like, there's... They're for... A, for a person in motorsport, you have so many different types of support. Yeah. You have, as I said, your parents. You have someone like Nikki that is giving you 80% of their success to try and push your success. Mm, yep. And then you have your race team who are basically an adopting family. Yeah. Like, I moved <laughs> over there. I I live with two of the guys from the team, mm. the team manager and the chief mechanic. Like, I live with them. Yeah. And they basically adopted me. Oh. And <laughs> it's crazy. I lived yeah. with them for nine weeks. I'm like, guys, let me know if I'm bothering yeah. you or I'm in the way. I'll go for a walk or something. Like, I'll just leave for a little while if you want your own space or whatever. And they're like, no, they're like, we love having you here. And it's like, for someone to give up that sacrifice, mm. you know, of their own space, their own home, and just bring you in, is like, that's an amazing support in itself. Yeah. And then for Paul to bring me over the first time and then continue to bring me over because he obviously sees something in me where he's like I want to pursue this and that gives you so much confidence and so much support but I remember a few years ago I think it was around 2019 when John Campion Mm. um, who decided um, he was going to create a team called CJJ Racing which we had Nicole Drow and uh, James Rowe Mm. and 
that was, I think, the biggest step in my career yeah. ever. Sadly, John soon passed away after I was added to the team. But John, now that I'm, I never met the man, so mm. I was at, never even spoke to him over the phone. Yeah. But that just shows John took me on as a driver, never speaking, never meeting me, and said, oh, I've seen a bit of what she's doing. Yeah. Full trust. We're going to put her on a programme. Mm. And that was also thanks to Nikki. Mm. But I remember I seen... Um, they sent over like the suit and they were like, this is the suit you're going to wear. Yeah. And I was sat in the back of the car. Me and my mom were, and my dad were driving. We were looking at houses and I was sat in the back of the car and the tears. I just oh. looked at the suit and I just like started absolutely bawling my eyes out oh. because it was a three-year program of whatever I wanted to do and nobody had ever even mentioned of ever giving me that and that just mm. came up. Mm. And I was saying to myself, somebody that I've never, like someone I don't even know mm. has so much confidence in me, yep. which gave me so much confidence. Yeah. The difference, so you'll ask my mom and dad, the difference between my personality and my race and my passion grew from that moment mm-hmm. when John said, this is what we're going to do for her. We're going to put her on a program. I have so much belief in this girl. And that just made me think, well, if other people are going to believe in me, I should probably start believing in myself a bit yeah. more too. Absolutely. I think everyone needs that, don't they? It's like, especially in, you know, regardless of gender, it's hard to make it in motorsport yeah. to a high level. So I think you obviously have, as you said, there's a spark, there's an X factor there and like what you're producing on track is enough that people are saying, yeah, this is the person I want to yeah. get behind, which is amazing. Um, hopefully that will continue. Yeah. Let's talk a small bit about kind of what's coming next for you and even just kind of your biggest career goals because I know... I think sometimes when you talk about motorsport, everyone assumes that everyone wants to be a Formula One driver. That isn't always the case. No. <laughs> um, so chat a bit about that and kind of what you're aiming towards. Well, growing up with karting, everyone wanted to be in a single seater driver, not even a yeah. Formula One driver, but everyone was like single seater, single seaters, open wheelers. That's what we're going to do. And so I tried it. I did F4 for a little while in Denmark. And then Paul brought me over and I raced the BMW. I go, GT is the way for me. Yeah. I was like, I fell in love with GT, something I never even considered or yeah. thought about or even watched. I never even watched GT racing. Yeah. And I just fell into something that I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I was like, when I was a kid, I want to be an F1 driver. I want to be an open wheel driver. Like, that's what I want to do. And then all of a sudden now, it's like, hold on a minute. That's <laughs> not what I want to do. I want to be racing Aston Martins, yeah. Mercedes. Like, I want to be driving all of these cars on circuits that also you know Mm -hmm. the f1 drivers do race on but that's what i want to do i want to be not you know very different but i want to be a little bit different Mm. from the rest of the kids that grew up in carton i want to kind of excel in something different Mm. and so my goals would be to kind of get to imsa like get to the pro series in america where you can really you know show people what i can do Mm. you know it's a big platform for racing drivers and i think for any racing driver, all they want to do is excel to be the best professional version of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I want to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's good as well for younger, I mean, I know you're obviously very already, but even younger people coming up in karting, as you mentioned, to show them that there are other routes and that there are other things that you can do. And I think what's really important, you've mentioned a couple of times, is just that openness and being willing to just take whatever opportunity Say comes yes your way. Say yes to everything. Exactly. <laughs> don't be like, mm, I don't know now if that's for me. Like, if you don't know, and if you don't try it, you'll never know. Mm, so, and exactly. you could be fantastic at it. That's just who knows. 
Um, I think that's a really positive note to finish up on. So I'll say thank you so much, Alex, for for joining us here on the Big Red Bench. It's been great chatting to you, getting to know you a bit better. And I just can't wait to see what's coming next to you. Thank you so much. That's everything that I've got time for, folks, this evening. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if you missed anything or want to listen back, the podcast will be available shortly after I get off air this evening. In the meantime, though, have a great rest of your Sunday and stay tuned for Green on Red with Miriam or with Mags up next. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. The Neil Prendeville Show. And tell me, did he go through any rehab or did he try any of that? He did try and it got to the end. He couldn't. He just couldn't. He was gone too far. Heartbreaking for a mother. Yeah, yeah. God love him. But do you know, do you know what now, Neil? I wouldn't bring him back. When I go out to his grave, I know he's safe. He's safe for where he is. And that's a hard thing to say. The Neil Prenderville Show. Weekdays from 9 a.m. Cork's Red FM. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Show, grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red 